Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be talking about Manichaeism. There's a very strange article on Triablog, and it's entitled The Neo-Manichaeans. It says, all the various religions and philosophies, past and present, are variants of three basic worldviews. Calvinism, atheism, and Manichaeanism. What are you talking about? He goes on to say, the theology of the Arminian, Manichaean, or Zoroastrian is essentially and radically dualistic. Representatives of this viewpoint include Zoaster, Manny, Arminius, Wesley, Roger Olson, Clark Pinnock, and Gregory Boyd, to name a few. What are you talking about? You don't know anything about Manichaeanism. You don't know anything about dualism. And this is a strain of logic that we find, you know, more, more often than it should be found. You're debating, you're talking to a Calvinist, and they'll just say, oh, you're a Manichaean. What are, you, you don't know what Manichaeanism. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the very basic fundamental principles of Manichaeanism. And really, and really when you come down to it, Manichaeanism, it's, it's a crazy nuts religion that has a lot of uh, weird elements. And the basic underlying principles more line up with Calvinistic thought than they do with normal biblical Christianity. What's really happening is these Calvinists, they've heard a cool term. They don't quite know the meaning, the thought process behind it, the philosophy behind Manichaeanism. And then they think they, they sound smart just trying to call other people Manichaeans, even though they don't know anything about Manichaeanism. They hear dualism and they think, oh, that must be like Arminianism. You know, Calvinism has dualistic properties to it. Evil is eternal in Calvinism. God made the world as it is for his glory. God is timeless. Everything that is created is in this timeless sense because it all exists all at the same time in God's mind forever. Evil is the eternal and necessary part of the universe in Calvinism. In open theism, not so much. Evil is not eternal. Evil is not uncreated. Evil is a result of of free will choices. So besides this dualistic concept that's found both in Manichaeanism and in Calvinists, I made a short list of areas in which Manichaeans and Calvinists have a lot of overlapping themes. They both believed in the evil flesh. The world that we see is a fallen world and there's only elements of divine scattered throughout. And this lines up also with the Calvinistic idea of regeneration that we need an inward spark uh, from God in order to, you know, return to the one, be spiritually enlightened. The Manichaeans, they believed that each human being had a little bit of light in them, and that light was the enabling substance that allowed us to release more light to the one. Both believe in chastity. We see this especially in the writings of Augustine, who was the grandfather of all Calvinist thought. And he thought that the flesh was evil, and our goal in life is to degrade the flesh and elevate the spiritual. And so in his On Good of Marriage, he writes that having sex with your wife for pleasure, that's an evil thing. Wives are only for babies, and it's more just, it's more righteous to have sex with a prostitute for pleasure than having sex with your wife for pleasure. Because at least in the prostitute case, she's not doing it for pleasure, she's doing it for money. Because remember... Elevating the flesh, that was the pinnacle of evil. You had to focus on a spiritual light. And this is Platonism. 
Uh, it's a familiar element also found with the Mannies. Undue priority of Paul's works. The Mannies, they were a sect of Christians. That's important to keep in mind. These people were considered Christians. Yes, they were not mainstream Christians, and yes, they faced persecutions, but they used the Bible as their text. So they focused on the writings of Paul, and their favorite gospel is the Gospel of John. And that should be for obvious reasons, all the esoteric type of language that we find in the Gospel of John. But also in Paul, they could point to their various doctrines, they could proof text, they could pull out things out of context, and use them for their beliefs. That sounds just like what the Calvinists do. And in the Old Testament, all the stories that uh, refuted their beliefs about who God was, how the world worked, you know, they pulled out little elements that they liked to keep, but then they rejected wholesale large portions of the Bible. Their number one metric was what can be used to reinforce our beliefs. It's a very Calvinistic mindset when approaching the Bible. They believed in a select elect, people who are given spiritual wisdom, a spiritual inspiration in order to understand things better, in order to understand spiritual truths. Remember, that's a Calvinist feature. They say that only the regenerated can understand the Bible. The Bible! They, not, not just spiritual truths. They say you can't read the Bible unless you're regenerated, so we reject anything anyone else says about the Bible because they're not Calvinists. They're not in our cult reinforcing the beliefs that we want to impose on the Bible. The Manes also had elements of preservation of the saints and predestination, just, just how the light works, how the light is spread on earth, who has more light particles in them than others. Stuff like that is in Manichaeanism. It differs a little bit from Calvinism. We probably won't be getting into the details of that. But, but just recall all these elements Manichaeanism has in common with Calvinism. So when Calvinists say open theists are Mannies, really? Because you, got, you guys don't know the first thing about Manichaeanism and you're ignoring, you're ignoring the significant overlapping features between Manichaeanism and Calvinism. With that being said, don't go around accusing Calvinists of being Manichaeanism because Manichaeanism is a specific theology and it's just way out there. If I was to compare it to anything in today's world, it'd be Scientology. And you're going to really get that from a presentation of Manichaeanism in this podcast. While it might be accurate to say Calvinism has this specific area where it overlaps with Manichaeanism, Calvinism itself is not Manichaeanism. The primary text that we're going to be using today is Augustine, Conversions to Confessions by Robert Lane Fox. And we have an entire podcast reviewing this book. And as I said there, I'm going to say again, Sign up for audible.com, get a free token, use it on this book, listen to this book, and understand the religious climate of the 300s AD. Uh, and before, and before, you'll learn a lot about their mindset, their mentality, their disrespect for the Bible, just, just their way of life and their thought process. But we're going to cut into exactly what this worldview was of the Mannies. In the beginning phase of time, Mani taught, there were two separate kingdoms before our universe existed. One was the kingdom of darkness, the other, lying above it, was the kingdom of light. Each was eternal and uncreated, but their natures were very different. The kingdom was ruled by God the Father, 
eternal by nature, true and glorious. He gave off twelve ages clothed in flowers and full of songs, who were made of his same divine substance. In turn, these ages throw their flowers at God the Father's face. Apart from light, four other good elements were present in the kingdom, air, wind, fire, and water. Crowned with wreaths of fire, the Father reigned with a blazing countenance. According to the letter of foundation, he was placed slightly above this clear-lit blessed land in realms that cannot be moved or shaken by anyone. He was to be imagined, Augustine explains in the Confessions, as a vast mass of physical light. The kingdom of darkness lay beneath this kingdom, but thrust into its underside like a wedge. It was inferior in quality to the kingdom of light, but crucially its darkness was eternal and uncreated. In that fact lies Marnie's answer to the origins of evil. It has always existed as an independent realm. Its kingdom is of immense magnitude, so the letter of foundation tells us, and in it dwelt fiery bodies, pestilential kinds. There were infinite darknesses streaming with their offspring, and beyond them were dirty and turbulent waters with their inhabitants. Inside them were horrible winds. There was also a fiery and corruptible region with its own leaders and nations. Inside it, likewise, was a race full of darkness and smoke, in which the awful prince of all things passed his time, a leader with countless chiefs around him. We start off Manichaeanism with two kingdoms. They're both eternal and uncreated. This is a very critical aspect of dualistic thought. There is a good and there is an evil, and they are eternally in conflict. They're fighting each other, and often they cannot be destroyed. This is not a feature of Arminianism or open theism. In open theism, there is a fall. Evil is a free will choice, as opposed to Calvinism, where everything that exists exists by divine predestination, for God's greatest glory. Evil is a necessary part of this universe in Calvinism. So what's more dualistic? Calvinism, open theism, it's definitely Calvinism. In Manichaeanism, the two realms were light and darkness. This is in contrast to the Platonic idea that the two kingdoms were the spiritual and the physical. You could kind of think about them like the same, but in Manichaeanism, it's like a light kingdom. So when we see physical light, that's the kind of light of this kingdom. Both the system of the Manes and the system of the Platonists, the Calvinists, they're both in contrast to the biblical system. In the biblical system, you got a realm of man and a realm of God, and the two could overlap, interchange. You see God coming to earth. You see man going to heaven in bodily form. Paul says, I was swept up to the third heaven. In spirit or body, I do not know. The two can interchange. The kingdom of darkness was made up of matter, which had its own random movement. Importantly, it was not only a material realm. It was animated by a sort of death, which is best known to us in Asian sources, but was known to the young Augustine, as a detail in his very first text against the Manichees shows. Evil, therefore, is not merely an evil substance. It has a driving principle which can plan and affect other creatures in a life. Recall the Platonists, recall the Calvinists, that the flesh is evil, original sin, we're corrupted in the flesh, we can't do anything good. 
To be clear, this is not like Calvinism inherited this from Manichaeism. This was a popular concept also in the Platonists, and it predated Manny himself. So these are popular notions. They're notions of the corruptibility of the flesh, the corruption of the material world. In Platonism, in Manichaeanism, in a lot of modern Christianity, our goal is to remerge with this spiritual realm. In Christianity, it's heaven. In the world of Manny, it was the realm of light. In Platonism, it's the realm of the intellect. They're trying to remerge away from the physical world. Biblical Christianity calls for a rebirth of our current world. The world will be reformed. We will be raised with new bodies and we'll live out our lives on earth. By using some of his powers, God began a battle against the powers of darkness, knowing that he must lose it in order to win the war. As the letter of foundation told, he released a splendid and brilliant divine power, rich in virtue, to attack and destroy the offspring of darkness so that perpetual peace after its extinction might be prepared for the dwellers of light. God's envoy to the darkness was primal man, who was armed with the five good elements from the light kingdom. So let's think about Manichaeanism real quick. There's, we've got these two eternal kingdoms. They're at war. And the kingdom of light has this plan to contain the kingdom of darkness they can't be destroyed completely darkness will never be destroyed completely but it needs to be contained and in order to do this the kingdom of light sends an envoy to take a hit for the team as you will to begin this cycle in which the light can overcome the darkness like a master spy god knew that his envoy into enemy territory must suffer but that his capture ultimately would assist his own kingdom as the Manichaean Psalms well put it, by a single lamb he saved his sheepfold, an image which Augustine would remember for many years. Again, semi-Christian scripture seemed aware of this drama. The light shone in darkness, the fourth gospel said, and the darkness comprehended it not. The fourth gospel even knew of the good shepherd who laid down his life for his flock. Of all the Gospels, the fourth was the one which Marnie valued most, thinking that it was the least distorted by Jewish additions. This just shows examples of how the Mannies actually used the Bible. When you're talking to Calvinists, how is a Calvinist going to explain why the Mannies are wrong on these verses and why they themselves are correct on these verses and similar passages? Primal man brought the very substance, light, for which the demons of darkness had lusted from afar. The prince of darkness duly conquered primal man, and his own demonic agents devoured the man's panoply of powers, just as the god of light had planned. Primal man was then put to sleep, until he awoke to give seven prayers for his rescue. In his kingdom, God the Father then released yet more powers to help him. Their leader was Living Spirit, who went to the edge of the kingdom of darkness and, in a crucial initiative, greeted Primal Man with a call. Captive Primal Man gave a reply, and Living Spirit held out his hand to receive him. Augustine certainly knew this episode because it set a lasting pattern for believers. They had been born captives, but, by assenting to Mani's gospel, each of them, like Primal Man, heard the call and replied. Notice what's happening here. There's a call and reply. How do you get saved? First, you have to be called by God. And this is a Calvinistic idea, and you see it 
It is extremely common on all these Facebook pages where they say, oh, you can't resist the calling of God and God has to call you and you're dead before, which means there's nothing you could do good at all in any sense of the word until you are called by God. And that's their thought pattern, and that mirrors Manichaeanism, at least in this sense. Primal man in this section is not Adam. We will be getting to Adam's creation later. But primal man is a light creature which has been captured by the darkness in order to affect this divine plan. From now on, the purpose of middle time is to free and recover them, the bait with which the demons of darkness have been ensnared. In the battles to recover them, their kingdom's thought of death will be repeatedly outwitted by the light kingdom's thought of life. First, living spirit and his helpers defeated and captured most of the ruling demons in the darkness. Living spirit then used them to create a universe, one of eight earths and ten heavens. In the process, the captives were forced to release much of the light which they had acquired. If they had polluted it, it became a thousand stars, ones which are still visible to us as the Milky Way. Purer light, only slightly contaminated, became the moon, while the purest light of all became the sun. Nonetheless, the demons retained some of the light in their possession. Some of them, therefore, were flayed, and their skins were stretched to make the heavenly firmament. Their bodies, male and female, were fixed onto this firmament as planets and signs of the zodiac. From other demons the bones were pulled out and used to make the rocks and mountains of our world. Their excreta were made into its earth. Once again, the primeval combat has had lasting practical consequences. So the entire creation of the world in Manichaeanism was in order to facilitate this light versus dark battle. And this is one of the appealing aspects, especially to young Augustine. He thought, well, the Mannies, they have all the answers why everything exists, why the world functions like it does. There's explanations for the sun, the stars, the moon. There's explanation for astrology, which Augustine saw as a very serious science. As the Book of Treasures described in Latin, God the Father arranged that the shapes of beardless boys and beautiful virgins should appear in the sun. Asian Manichaean sources are more detailed. The third envoy himself appeared in the sun as a beautiful naked girl, causing the male demons who were bound in the zodiac to ejaculate towards him. Their sperm fell back without reaching its target and landed on the earth and sea. In the sea it produced a sea monster which one of the porters speared to death. On the dry earth it soaked in and then sprouted as fir trees, from which all other vegetation developed. The third envoy also appeared as a lovely young male, naked against the sun. At the sight of him, the female demons on the zodiac miscarried the offspring they were carrying. Their abortions fell to earth, where they copulated freely and gave birth to the animal kingdom. As they had been conceived before darkness had intermingled with light, their children were wholly evil and demonic. However, they grazed on the new sperm-born vegetation, and from it absorbed particles of light. Animals, therefore, are not made entirely of evil. However, none of them, not even a dog, ranks as man's best friend. Let's take notice of what's happening here. It's very strange. It's uh, very sexual in nature. Sex is evil. Sex is bad. Plants are good. Vegetarian lifestyle is good. 
animals. They are lesser creatures. They're not light creatures, but they have some light from consuming the plants. But they have sex, and they propagate, and they disperse light rather than consolidate it. And this all works back into this wacky Manichaeanism view where you have to consume the light. So their elect have to go around eating all the plants, and then they fart out, and they pee out, and they poop out the plants in order to remerge that light into the ultimate light source. Meanwhile, God does not wish to contemplate the struggle which he is shaping. He has hidden himself in his kingdom behind a veil to soothe his pain of the sufferings of his light. Eventually, he will remove it, but before he does, the struggle must spread to one more battlefield. One element remains to be created and involved in the war, ourselves. Some sources claim that in Manichaeanism, the light has no power against the darkness. That's an inaccurate description of what's going on. The light has a game plan, the light has a strategy, but there are elements of the light hiding itself from the darkness. But the ultimate goal is the light overcoming the darkness. And let's talk now about the creation of man, Adam, and Eve. As the letter of foundation states, the precise origins of Adam and Eve, our ancestors, are a mystery, in the sense of a secret. The letter was written to explain it. One fact is clear. We descend from creations of the demons, powers as evil as the Thetans of modern Scientology. After losing the Third War, the demon of lust or sin decided on a counterattack. He, or in Persian, she, released two demonic powers, Saklas, whose name Augustine knows in Latin, and his mate Nebroel, in Greek Nebrod. Young Augustine knew the sequel from the Latin Letter of Foundation, read out while he was in the sect. In it, the ruler of darkness is heard speaking from his bad eminence to his attendant demons, the first such address to be attested in Christian literature. It is fairer for you to give over to me the light which you have in your might, he tells them. Thus I will imitate the image of that great figure, living spirit, who appeared so gloriously, and through that image we will be able to rule, freed eventually from association with darkness. The demons confer and agree, partly from lust, partly from fear. They are afraid that otherwise they will lose their remaining light. They also lust for another sighting of the beautiful naked male and female forms by whom they had been aroused in the previous war. To centralize their light, their prince ordered them to copulate and produce yet more children. They then had to bring their babies to him so that he could eat them and absorb their qualities. After eating them, he sent for the female demon Nebroel, who had emanated from his same stock, and inseminated her passing into her all the light which he had amassed and digested from the babies. He added some of his own thinking and virtue. She conceived, and the offspring were first Adam, then Eve. This vivid story presents Adam and Eve as microcosms of the intermingled kingdoms of light and darkness. Adam was born with a body of evil matter, the garment of sickness, as Manichaean psalms call it, made from the filth of demons. But this matter was formed in the image of something far more lovely, the image of the male and female, third envoys creations, who had been seen naked against the sunlight. Adam and Eve, though children of demons, were not entirely evil. Inside them was some light, 
a part of God captured from the heavenly kingdom. However, evil impulses and influences teemed inside them too, and limb by limb they were subject to the malign astrological powers of the demons on the heavenly firmament. They were also seething with the Prince of Darkness's mental evils, ones which he had superimposed on the powers of light. They lead the soul to bad deeds, as Marnie was said to have explained to questioners, to all the sins of desire, to idolatry, and the assertions of deceit. In this creation of Adam and Eve, the flesh is evil, the flesh causes sin, the flesh is enmity with the light. And you can see why the Manichees would love the writings of Paul. They could pull out uh, key phrases, phrases that the Calvinists also pull out to support their notions of, of an evil flesh. Like, like our material bodies are evil and there's no good in our material bodies. So we have to have this uh, re-enlightenment. We have to have this, this divine spark in us to bring us to the spiritual. In a hostile world among evilly created animals, Adam and Eve were created for a diabolic purpose. They were to copulate and scatter their particles of light through their offspring so that light would be spread too widely for God and his agents to recover it. Through their human creations, the demons would then rule the world. Even after Augustine converted from Manichaeism to Christianity, he still held that the original sin was sex. Remember, Augustine's conversion to Christianity was a conversion to celibacy. But Genesis failed to mention that God had foreseen the danger. He sent envoys to awaken him, led by Jesus the Splendor, who drove off Adam's demonic guardian and encouraged Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge. Adam duly ate. Augustine even says that according to the Manichaeans, this Jesus took on the form of the serpent. And when insight and self-knowledge were granted to him, he lamented his predicament. We see some uh, familiar themes. A lot of the ancient Gnostics, they saw the Old Testament God, the God of the Old Testament, as an inferior God, a God who was ignorant of the spiritual realm. And you also see that in a lot of Christianity today, who want to disclaim the Old Testament. Whatever happened in the Old Testament wasn't true, wasn't indicative of Yahweh was just ignorance, and it's not the real God. Jesus suffers in every plant we touch, or tree we cut, or fruit we eat. He is the cross of light, made up of all the particles of divine light which are scattered through the world. In Manichaeanism, they didn't like the idea that Jesus came and suffered one event. Jesus was this overriding principle that was in work, everywhere and always and everything, Jesus was the light that was scattered from this event. In turn, man's job was not to scatter the light, but to consolidate this light. For the rest of middle time, light is being scattered far and wide by sexual reproduction. Animals copulate, and so do humans. However, as humans descend from such light-rich ancestors, Humans are the agents who can best set light free. To do so, they must follow a strict rule of chastity and diet, which we will confront in the next section. This particular podcast is not going to get in too deep into their common rituals, what the Mannies did to try to consolidate this light. But what these guys would do is they'd have the elect, and the elect would sit around all day. They are eating plants. 
They're being served by the hearers. Augustine was a hearer because Augustine could not give up sex, so he could not become one of the elect. And so he'd feed these people plants all day, and they'd sit around farting and pooping and peeing and all sorts of weird other stuff that they were doing. And this was their way to return the light to the one. Let's listen. Every night we can see the ascension of the light which has been set free. First it goes to the pillar of light, what we now call the Milky Way, and passes up by this column of glory which the third envoy has set between heaven and earth. Then some of the light passes on to the moon, which grows ever fuller with it for the first fifteen days of the month. Then the moon passes the purest light on to the sun. The loss of this light causes the moon to wane for the rest of each month until its light supply is refilled. That's about all the clips we're going to play. I cut out a lot of material, I truncated a lot, but you guys get the idea. Manichaeanism is an insane religion, almost like Scientology. They believed a lot of wacky, nutty stuff. They had a cosmology that actually worked and attracted adherents. Absolute nonsense. All of it's absolute nonsense. When people say open theism is a form of Manichaeanism, that's absolutely nuts. Maybe, maybe in the sense that Boyd discusses a spiritual warfare, maybe in that sense there is a little bit of overlap. But all the themes, all the elements, why things work together, it, it's absolutely nothing to do with open theism. And the dualistic worldview, and this is a primer for any Calvinist listening, a dualistic worldview requires an eternal good and an eternal evil and an eternal struggle. That element is not in open theism. That element is not in Arminianism. Open theism is not a dualistic religion. So going back to our opening trilobog, his, his three views of the world, either there's atheism or Calvinism or dualism, not true. How about there's biblical theology as well, where evil is not a substance. It's not like, like some sort of metaphysical junk that you get on you that you have to scrub off. Evil is free actions of free beings that arise and not necessarily, not eternally, and God is dealing with that as those problems arise. If you have any questions or comments on today's podcast, feel free to put that on the God is Open webpage or start a thread on the Facebook companion page, God is Open. Thank you for listening.